Hi everyone, welcome to the Class War Podcast, Episode 5. I'm Derek, I'm going to be your host this evening. I'm by myself on this uh, rainy, but still pretty, Saturday night here in Vermont. And um, some of the stuff we're going to go over, talk about update on the Class War roads after the flooding, uh, talk about meet and greets, talk about um, the history tours, and then one of the other topics I'm going to get into is the... Uh, what I've been doing to prepare to start overlanding with uh, McTavish, our six-and-a-half-month-old Irish Wolfhound. And then um, get into one of the builds that I've been working on that's now pretty much nearly finished my Land Rover Snatch, my um, 93 Land Rover Defender. So first off, I apologize to everyone for not having, uh, for having such a large break between these podcasts. Uh, it's just been bedlam here with the uh with the family and everything else and i want to make sure i'm also delivering stuff that you guys want to hear about and actually is is interesting and not just doing it for volume so we've got some great stuff planned i know i'll be getting a couple more interviews in with the 207 overland crew when i head up to maine next week with them uh we're going to be going from the b52 crash site all the way up to the old uh loring air force base as a former air force guy that's a really interesting trip and you if you haven't noticed by now, I'm a huge history buff, so that's incredibly uh, incredibly cool to me. I apologize as I'm also sitting out here smoking a cigar, also trying to stop McTavish from eating my hands. He's gotten a wee bit bigger since you guys have seen him in the last couple of videos. We've gone from 27 pounds when I got him to he's now 105 at six and a half months old. So, anyways, we're going to do some great... Great stuff with the 207 Overland crew, Alex. Uh, we'll also be talking to the um, Explore New Hampshire crew in the next week or two. Um, we're going to be doing an interview with Ned from the uh, Defenders Club of uh, New Hampshire. Talking to him, he just got back from an amazing trip out west. So a bunch of bunch of great podcasts coming up this month and next month. Um, again, I just apologize for not being able to to get some more out there like I wanted to, but. Um, as you all know, family stuff gets in the way. So first big thing everyone's been asking about is what is the condition of the Class 4 roads and how did the recent flooding in Vermont affect them? Um, long and short answer is some towns are okay. Some towns are now permanently, well, not permanently, are closed for probably this year. So about two weeks ago, we had eight inches of rain in a 24-hour period and it caused damage rivaling um, Tropical Storm Irene, which was something like 11 years ago in areas like Ludlow um, and Hardwick and, and other places, Montpelier and Barrier around the state. Um, so I can tell you a lot of the class whores are, are in worse shape than they were. However, to put that in perspective, these class whores have been around since the 1700s a lot of these class fours survived the 1927 crazy flooding that we had here in Vermont, which was 15 inches of rain. So don't just think that because we had this flooding that they're, they're gone. They are not. Some of them have gotten worse. Some of them may have actually gotten better as weird as that sounds, or will get better because of the repairs. So most importantly, off the start, let's talk about the towns that are now have decided to close their class fours temporarily until they can get fixed. So first off is Plymouth. Um, a lot of you know that's where we did their ghost town tours um, and the gold mining tour. Plymouth has some amazing trails. The town of Plymouth was hit incredibly hard by this, um, this flooding and they are having worse issues than they had during Irene. Um, same with the town of Ludlow, which is right next door. Um, we got reports from uh, our, our amazing friend Wendell, um, which I have to do a podcast with Wendell at some point. Wendell is 80 years old, still out cruising the Class 4s in his either his Willys Jeep or his built-up. I suck with Jeeps. It's a built-up CJ something, but it's very cool. Wendell, I can guarantee, is up there with Bill Burke level of off-road know-how skill and everything else so when wendell tells me something i take it as gospel um wendell said the the plymouth roads are really bad and a lot of them are impassable and if they are impassable to wendell 
um, they are definitely impassable to all us. So Plymouth has voted with their select board to close the town road, the class four roads to anything but local traffic. And even then they don't really want anyone on them. So we're going to work with Plymouth to try to maybe get some work parties out there. But the people who are going to generally take point in Plymouth is the snowmobilers. They use that heavily. And from what I'm hearing, Plymouth is probably not going to open again this year for class four roads for us to use, never mind even the snowmobilers. Um, we're going to try to work with them, but it's we're talking massive amounts of damage and impassable with huge washouts, you know, eight-foot deep holes, um, many down trees. It's, it's bad out in Plymouth, um, which is a, a huge loss for the entire community, whether it be ours, the UTV, ATV, walkers, or um, the snowmobile community for this year. But it's only one town out of 80, so don't feel like you're, you're limited. Um, the next is Woodstock. Woodstock has voted to close theirs. They've had a bunch of uh, a bunch of um, problems. I haven't really. I've only gotten limited reports on what's been going on. But the recurring theme with a lot of this is is where culverts were. The water, the culverts couldn't handle the water, and then just huge washouts were formed around the culvert that you just can't cross. And then also, it's stuff that we can't just fill in by hand because it wouldn't be a good enough job or we'd be causing damage to the culvert by driving over it. So um, I've reached out to the town of Woodstock. They also have a really active snowmobile club. Um, so I have faith that hopefully we can get Woodstock's class fours open by the, um, by the event. Uh, the other town that is closed, which is um, only has one really good trail, but um, you all know it with Shattagay. Shattagay is closed. It is inaccessible from both ends right now and will require heavy equipment to get those areas open. No one that I know of has even been on the actual class four section of Shattagay right now. So um, I expect that might be open, but I don't, I don't know. Um, and those are the three that I know right now. We've reached out to the town of Reading um, and offered work parties. I'm sure we'll get that going once the trails dry out. I can't stress this enough. Everything is still incredibly wet here. Um, so if you are going to go out on a town that is not closed, be cautious. If you see signs that say the Class 4 road has been, been closed by the town, please, please respect them. Um, and also... I can't guarantee the condition, the, the difficulty level of any of the class wars right now because all my data is pre this flood. So we're working on getting out there, but um, I'm relying heavily on, on volunteers to go out and do it, and then I'm going to be out and doing it. But I could pre-run a town every day and still not get them all done um, before the event. So bear with us as we work on it. We're going to work... The plan is to work our way from the venue out and really focus on pre-running all the green and stock-specific stuff to know where it is safe for them to go. Because most of you will not mind if you're if you're in a built-up truck if a tr blue has become a red or a red has become a pink, you're going to be more excited about that. We, the big folks, making sure our stock vehicles have a place to know that they can safely go. Um, so working on that. Speaking of the venue, so Henderson's is back up and open and ready for camping. Um, so if you're going to come off to Vermont, they're open and ready to go. And, uh, they cleared up all the damage they had. It wasn't Irene level of bad. Um, but it still took, uh, Cheryl and crew a good bit to get that, uh, all open and back up. So we're really excited to be able to get back in there. We're really excited to have a space to hold the event. I'm not going to lie. When I heard of the flooding, I was hoping that it was still there. Um, and we, we came out, um, speaking of camping here in Vermont, if you're going to come up to Vermont, make sure that you pre-book camping or have a place to stay with a friend because a lot of Vermont's state parks are closed right now. The one in Plymouth is closed as is the one down in Jamaica. Um, so a lot of people who are trying to come up here have kind of flooded the, um, Airbnb scene, the hip camp scene, and everything else. So it is very hard to find a site up here. Just think about that if, if you are coming up in between uh, now and the pilgrimage. 
Um, also, if you're coming up to Vermont, feel free. Again, this is this goes out to everybody who's coming to the pilgrimage. If you're in Vermont and you're going to go on the class horse trails, post up in the group. Say that you're going out. It'd be awesome to get some people. I'll probably try to go out with you. Um, I'm out on the class horse anyways nearly every weekend. Um, I'd love to join you. And it doesn't matter if we're doing stock stuff. I'm completely at doing that. Or if we're out doing the crazy, crazy stuff. So um, please post up. There's no reason to ever wheel alone out there. Especially now. After the flooding. You don't know the conditions of the trails. Please, please don't wheel alone. Um, so I think that covers what the condition of the trails are. The towns is closing. Um, the camping situation update. Henderson's is open. A couple of the state ground grounds are good. But um, well, well, how we'll finish that is please still come to Vermont. Just be courteous and respectful of when you're up here because some people lost everything with you know along these class four roads. Um, but at the same, to the other end of the spectrum, there are businesses that will lose everything if you don't come up here and don't spend your money locally. Um, I was just reading an article talking about the Jamaica General Store, and since the state park is closed in Jamaica, the general store is losing $15,000 a week um, in revenue. So Vermont definitely needs your business. Just be respectful when you're up here. I know we have an awesome community. I don't worry about that. Um, but please... Just, it's it's a fine line. Uh, and then also, stop and talk to everybody you can out there. Um, you encounter some amazing people out in the class wars. Yes, the odd person or two may not want to talk to you or may not even want to make eye contact to you. But I've met some of the coolest people um, and heard the most interesting stories uh, or seen the most interesting vehicles or, or animals along the class war roads. So um, don't be in a rush. So I'll leave it for that on the class war roads. On to the history tours. I'm putting the history tours on hold till at least September so I can evaluate everything that's out there and know where we can go and do it safely. Because everything I do, I try to do it stock, stock or a blue trail level um, history tour. If you want to go out and do um, the hard stuff, the fo my focus is on seeing stuff going between the history. If you want to go out and do harder stuff, Booking with one of the guide services. That is their specialty. They are way better teachers, instructors, and can offer you a much better experience than I ever could. Um, I focus on the history side. But aviation archaeology tour, I think, will probably be the one that we can definitely do in September. Is there, there was some class fours on that, but not the focus wasn't really on the class fours. The focus was really on getting around Vermont and seeing some really cool aviation history and camping um so i still think we can make that one work same thing with the um derek's a fat kid slash anti-campsite cooking tour i think we'll be able to get that one done in september and possibly again in october um because the the areas that those go through were not as heavily affected by the flooding um but as i i hate to say it but the gold one is definitely going to be off the tables until at least next year um which thinks that's the Plymouth Five Store, uh, Five Corners Ghost Town and gold mining stuff is is an incredible um, thing to see and hear about. Um, but we have to be courteous to our to our neighbors. Even for those of you who've been down to like even that area where we used to hang out and do the gold mining, like that's all washed out. That's gone right now. So it's not even like the class wars just to get there are gone. It's the area that we want to be in is gone. Um, but oddly enough, I hear the crack looks identical to how it did pre the storm, which honestly doesn't, I guess, doesn't actually surprise me because the crack's the crack. Uh, it is timeless and will always be there to make a mockery of us when we attempt it. Um, other things, we're going to work on the meet and greets. Since we're not going to be doing the history tours, I'm going to focus heavily on the meet and greets. We're working on the next two. One is going to be in New Hampshire with our friends at South Elm Auto. We're going to work on trying to do that in August, later August. Um, and then we're also going to be doing one down in Manchester, Vermont, with our friends at Orvis and uh, Garage Distilleries. Um, so it's a great time. Come out, have some lunch, see some vehicles, meet some of the sponsors of the pilgrimage. And if the class fours are in the area are doable, um, 
we'll go out and do a class four or two. Um, but working on getting the final dates with both of those, um, Sean is actually, I believe, just getting from South Elm is getting married today. So uh, congratulations to, uh, to Sean from South Elm. And um, Orvis, we've been working through to get them down there, to get down there, and then also get the hats and stuff all sorted for everybody. Um, updates on the event. Everything's going I think we actually officially sold out today um, from what Mike was telling me. I had 10 or 15 tickets held in reserve to give away at the uh, meet and greets. And uh, we sold out, I think, earlier today. So I decided to release those tickets and I will give away 2024 tickets at the meet and greets because we had a couple people posting in the group today that they missed out and really wanted to join. Um, so I can't thank you the community enough um i can't tell you how amazing it makes me and the team and my family feel that you have uh that you sold the event out it's come a long ways from my took it over um in really late 2020 and then we had our first event in 2021 and just to put it in perspective in 2021 i had 118 vehicles and now we've sold out at 250 vehicles um and it's it's all because of you. This is not my event. This is your event. Um, you, you guys tell me what you want to see, how I can make it better, what you like, what you don't like. Um, I run this because you guys like it. I enjoy the, my family and I love going around talking to everybody, seeing all the different rigs, showing where I grew up. Um, with Vermont and all that and letting everyone else experience it and having it be a family and dog friendly event that um, any difficulty level, any experience level can come and enjoy um, and also not be a brand specific event. And um, that's all possible because of you all putting your faith into, uh, into us, the team um, and me with buying tickets. So again, thank you so much. It, it means the world to me and um, I'm, beyond excited to deliver what I hope is going to be the best pilgrimage yet. Um, we're working on some cool stuff, um, for the, uh, for the vendor area. Um, one of the big things I've been working on is the experience tent for children. Um, we got some really cool games in there. Um, we're going to work with a couple of the vendors to sponsor some RC off-roading cars and do a little track for them. Cause just because they can't drive, now it doesn't mean they won't be driving in the future. So we might as well start them on that. And um, working with the food vendors, we're trying to add a couple little more food vendors um, in addition to our main ones. And then some more Vermont products. Um, and then we still have a couple vendor spots left, uh, like Overland vendoring spots, if anyone is interested. Um, I really vet these... Um, I vet the vendor. I vet the vendors for the event pretty heavily. Um, I turn down a lot of vendors. Like if someone just wants to come in their car dealership and wants to park and say, "Hey, I want to," you know, I'm a Ford dealership. Can we bring three Broncos and try to sell them? No, I don't. That's not what I'm after. I want stuff that is actually beneficial to uh, to you guys, the community. Stuff that you'll actually use. You actually want to see. It's not just there as a corporate sponsor slash overlord. Um, it's stuff that I think adds value to the event, um, and value for you coming to the event, not just value for money in my pocket. Um, we're working on a really cool one that is map based that I can't really get into yet, but, um, Alex, our friend and staff member from 207 Orville has been taking point on that. And, um, I think you're really going to enjoy that. Speaking of which, uh, I apologize when I'm going on tangents since I haven't had a time to talk about it all in a long time. Alex from 207 Overland is, and also the pilgrimage is going to be taking over all the map duties. Um, he has found a way to get all our maps into Gaia. Do you imagine you guys can connect the dots on what I'm talking about with, um, working with a, with a map slash app company. Um, he's working on some really cool stuff. Uh, he's got it in. He's taking over the maps. That free, that's his passion. He loves maps. Um, kind of reminds me a lot of Volers and how he loved maps and everything. Well, Volers still loves maps, but Alex loves the mapping. He knows how to use all these apps and everything. Whereas, again, you guys know, if 
if this if the event was run by me without Mike running the technology side, Alexing the maps, it would be hand drawn maps and crayons, and they would be delivered via carrier pigeons. Um, I'm beyond thankful for my team. So Alex taking over the maps is allowing Mike to focus on the stuff that he loves to do, which is the really techie stuff that I don't understand how any of it works. And also, anything that you see that has a logo, design, the website, anything, T-shirts, all of that was designed by Mike. Uh, Mike is responsible for making the pilgrimage brand what it is and everything that it, it when you touch something, um, you know, everything from stickers to all, anything that had to be designed again, that was Mike and a lot of the creativity. I can't, I can't think enough. So it's really making our team better. Um, so I, I hope you guys, uh, I hope you guys, um, enjoy what we have working on you and, um, I hope you guys are appreciative of the of the effort of the staff. I'm I'm really just the host, and I, I'm the guy who pre-runs the class for us. I couldn't do it without the team. Um, but yeah, I think that sums up what I want to do for event updates, class wars. Let's get into talking about uh, a build. So with this build, because every episode I want to talk about a vehicle. Um, luckily, I have a lot of vehicles, so even... I don't have co-hosts with me I can still talk about some vehicles so I'm going to talk about a Land Rover that means probably the most to me I still love my ambulance if I had to go down to one it would be the ambulance just because of my time with family but the 1993 Land Rover Snatch is the one that I think I have the most connection with you um I don't tell people very often but I am an Iraq veteran um from back in 2006 when I was with the Air Force, um, when I was an F-16 crew chief in Iraq, and the connection to the vehicle is, this 1993 Land Rover Snatch was in Iraq at the exact same time that I was in Iraq, um, but down with the British in Basra, so it's, it's kind of cool to have a reminder of, um, a piece of history I can touch that, that was my history, and also, a shared experience uh, plus it's pretty awesome parking in a veteran spot when both you and the vehicle are veterans um, so the story of this vehicle so it's a 1993 we'll talk about its history first and then how I acquired it and um, and how it came to the states and then its lengthy build and upgrade process so a Land Rover Snatch is a Defender 110 chassis that is a heavy-duty chassis, dual Salisbury axles, um, a V8, but it has Kevlar composite armor and bulletproof glass because it was designed for Northern Ireland. These weigh 9,000 pounds. Empty. So it's a very heavy vehicle, but a very capable vehicle. Um, so mine was in 1993. It was used in Northern Ireland Towards the tail end of the Troubles, I'm sure it still saw a couple protests and all that, but nowhere near what it was during the 70s and 80s. Um, and then they really came into their own when the invasion of Iraq happened. Snatches were then upgraded from regular Snatch spec to what called Snatch 1.5s, and they were deserized. And the big things that they had to do is they had to add air conditioning, because... They didn't have air conditioning. They just had an extraction fan because in Northern Ireland, it doesn't actually get hot. Um, nor does it actually get that cold, so their heating sucked as well. Um, so they went through a big upgrade process to add a AC system um, and also add uh, barracuda netting, which is a thermal insulation, which is in addition to camouflage, but really helps keeping the vehicle cooler. And then... As the war went on, they started getting um, jamming equipment and all sorts of other stuff. But the big thing was adding air conditioning. So now you have a 9,000-pound V8-powered power steering, five-speed transmission, air-conditioned armored Land Rover. Fun. So my snatch served with the British Army down in Basra all the way from about 2004 till late 2006 early 2007 they pulled out um doing all sorts of different uh things with many different battle groups down there um i actually have a history of 
I actually have a picture of it in um, in a contact along the Basra Road, the, the airport road to Basra. At the same time, um, I was in Iraq in Balad, just north of uh, of Baghdad. So it's kind of a cool history. Anyways, when they started getting a bad press as uh, as they started getting blown up by bigger and bigger IEDs that were meant to kill much things much bigger than a vehicle uh, than a Land Rover. So really good internal security vehicle, not good at stopping a 500 pound bomb. So anyways, it got sold off as, it got brought back to the UK and sold off as surplus back in the, well, probably about 2010, 2011 timeframe. <clears throat> and you couldn't give these trucks away. No one wanted them. So they didn't make that many of them either. It's a rare truck. And the reason you couldn't give them away is because gas is incredibly expensive in the UK. And I will tell you now, if you think your average off-roading rig gets bad miles per gallon, a 9,000-pound armored brick gets less. Not Humvee bad. Oddly enough, it is not M988 bad, which is about like 6.7. The snatch is about 8 to like 9 when it was before I upgraded the engine. <coughs> so it's pretty bad. So no one wanted these. Well, wanted them for drivers. But what people were doing is they were ripping the bodies off them because they were using them just for the rolling chassis, which has dual Salisbury axles. It's like dual Dana 60s. It's a really awesome setup for off-roading. They're incredibly capable vehicles once you get past their weight limitations. So, um, as some of you know, before I... And then we'll get into how I bought it. Before I got into running events or, or even working... Um, for Vermont Overland back in the day as staff, I used to import and sell a lot of old Land Rovers. Um, my specialty was military Land Rovers, but I imported a lot of civilian five-doors and 90s and everything else. And I always wanted a snatch, but they were always too new to import. Because uh, anything that comes into the country has to be 25 years or older in order to import it also has to be in its original build configuration. Um, and that means like original engine. If it was left-hand drive, it has to be left-hand drive. If it was a 110, it has to be a 110. Um, that sort of level of, of um, conformity to be exempt from US DOT and EPA standards. It had to be 25 years older. It used to be down to the model year then as customs went on, which is a whole other story I guess we can do in another episode of the funds of importing um, old landowners. Maybe it would be a good episode to do with Rovers North or, or some of the other Rover shops or Lucky 8. And we talk about um, the joys of Land Rover business ownership. Um, so anyways, finally, they were finally be able to import. So I found this. I, I apologize for the uh, pauses. I'm just really enjoying this wonderful cigar. The uh, Drew Estates Java. Um, I think it's the red label. Really nice cigar. Um, anyways, so finally comes up. I can finally look to import one. They're, we're finally at the 25-year mark, and this this snatch that I would go on and buy turns up. And someone else had backed out of a deal, so the guy was letting it go for, I think, 5,500 pounds, which was a pretty good deal. So um, had my mate Andy, which uh, a lot of you guys met at the pilgrimage last year from the UK, go up and see it, and he snatched it up. No pun intended. Um, and I had planned on reselling it. Just, you know, it'd be like the second one into the country. Really cool. You know, I figured I'd just, you know, flip it. Um, I didn't know how nice they drive. I kind of imagined they, drive, they drove horribly. So, bought it, and um, I went over to see Andy, um, see some other Land Rovers, and I got the chance to actually drive the Snatch around the Salisbury Plains, um, and also around Cope Hill Downs, which is um, a pretty cool place for military history. That's where the British Army's trained um, for an incredibly long time. A lot of World War II training was there. Copil Downs was the first ever uh, urban training site, um, and I got to spend and camp a night um, out there with the British Army in the Snatch. 
really cool experience. So I'm like, man, this is actually a really cool truck. The AC wasn't working, so we were driving around without front windows because if the AC is not working, this isn't, and it was when I was over in the UK that year, I think it was 2018, because um, so that's when I got snatched. It was so dry and so hot in the UK. I think it was like 98 degrees, and we weren't allowed to use any smoke like or pyro or anything like that out on the planes um, when I was over there doing the airsoft stuff that I was doing. Um, it was that hot. So we were driving around the snatch with no windows because the only way to stay cool because the AC was on the fritz. Uh, but And Andy, man, I hope Andy listens to this. Andy is an epic driver. Andy and I drove that snatch back from Salisbury Plains to Portsmouth at about like 3 a.m. after our exercise. And he drove that thing so hard through the green lanes and backcountry lanes of the UK that when we showed up at his house, the brakes were glowing red. And it was just awesome drive. It was just one of those drives that like, I will remember that drive because I was having so much fun driving with Andy talking about history, listening to the Foo Fighters, driving this amazing vehicle as hard as we could. Um, and it's just one of those experiences where you get out and you're like, that was awesome. And um, so thank you, Andy, for that. Uh, so anyways, Andy got the, I went back to the States, Andy got the AC fixed, and um, we imported this Land Rover. So when it shows up at the ports... Uh, oh, oh, here's another thing. I forgot about this part of the story. When they loaded it onto the boat, they drove, they put it on the wrong deck, and they and they drove it into the roof, the ceiling, because the, the deck was too low. Because the snatch is slightly taller, because it has a roof hatch, where two guys can stand up there and, like, try to make sure, like, people don't drop Molotov cocktails on top of the vehicle and stuff. So it's a little bit taller and had some plexiglass and a big spotlight up there. Well, they crushed all that when they tried to trap onto, like, I don't know, probably like the seven-foot level deck versus the ten-foot. It just crushed it all. So I got a thing from the shipping company saying they wrecked it, the roof stuff. But luckily, they didn't wreck the hatch. They just wrecked the plexiglass on the spotlight. Um, so I, I had to deal with that. But that was another thing in the story I forgot about. So anyways, shows all the port, and I was like, you know, I want to go do this. It was summer. It was hot. And I'm going to go down with my son, Harry, who, if, you, if any of you have met Harry, Harry is a military vehicle slash history nut, and he will talk your ear off about anything, um, World War II history related, or Vietnam, or the, f I had a conversation with him last week about the French involvement in Indochina in the 50s, and he's nine. Um, anyway, let's get down with Harry. He's nine now, but he was younger then. Go down with Harry. We pick up this army truck at the port, and it is just awesome. So we get in, and we start driving. And it's hot, because it arrived. Because it took, I think it took almost all winter to get it imported over here. Anyways, it arrived, I think, in like May or June of, of, um, of 2019. And it was... I mean, it was 2018, or late summer of 2018. I don't know, either way, I can't remember. Anyways, um, we pick it up at the port, and it is so hot. We get the AC going. The AC is doing awesome, but it is now raining inside the vehicle because I don't know it, but the drains for the AC, because the AC in a snatch is above your head. It is literally mounted to the roof and then blows down on you. There are, at one point, like, cupfuls of water whenever we'd accelerate coming out of the AC. Um, so I'm trying to get on the forums and I'm like, guys, what's going on? Like, I can't... See, it's supposed to be raining water in the car. Like, it was really refreshing um, in addition to the AC, but, like, everything is wet in the car. Um, Harry's having a hooks. He thinks it's he thinks it's awesome um, that, that there's water in the car. And the reason is no one had ever cleaned out all the mud and everything and dirt in the drain hoses coming out of the AC from rock. So um, I had to pull over and blow them out, get it buy an air compressor and blow them out. Um, and then we stopped, the, we stopped the, uh, stopped raining inside the cab. Uh, but as I drove it back from Port Newark, back up to Vermont, 
I realized like, wow, this is an awesome, because I couldn't drive it in the UK. I could only drive it on the plane, so I was only doing like 20 miles an hour. I couldn't drive it on the road roads for insurance reasons. So as I started driving on the interstate, I'm like, I am doing 70 miles an hour in a Defender, which is, for me, is pretty rare. Normally, I drive really slow diesel Defenders. Um, I've got power steering, and it's air-conditioned. So it kind of checked a lot of boxes, and it allowed having the power steering, it was actually a Land Rover that Catherine could drive. Um, cause my wife and I were in a really bad car accident back in 20, 2007, maybe 2008. Either way. Um, so she has a huge plate in her arm, so she can't drive the old Land Rovers that don't have power steering. So I was like, Oh man, this is a Land Rover that we could keep. And by the, I talked myself into keeping that truck within the six hour drive and the last three hours was how I was going to sell it to Catherine. Because we'd originally bought this Land Rover to sell. Um, and now I've decided that we're going to eat the $10,000 that we we're going to make money on and I'm going to keep it. Um, it's kind of like a lot of the puppies and the dogs I adopt. They're all welcome here, but yes, I, uh, I am... I, I love to, to get new things um, and take on projects like the like the Wolfhounds or, or Old Landers. So get it home, take Catherine for a drive in it. She actually loves it, which is pretty rare. Um, that you know, because like you would not expect many women to love your nine thousand pound armored box Land Rover, but she actually really enjoyed driving it. So, um, First thing was getting new tires for it. So I went to Cam 3s and 7.5 R16, which is a, a really nice size um, that I run on all my, pretty much all my Land Rovers, my Series 109 and my three Defenders. Um, I run that 7.5 R16 because I think it's a great mix of height and ease without being too big or wide. Um, I kind of like the tall and narrow. And the Cam 3 tire is hands down my favorite off-roading tire um, from everything I experienced. So put them on and we went out for, yeah, I must've brought it over in, in August or something in 2018. So we went out for Turkey run with Ron Harrington and, uh, and Ridgeback Guides Harris's. We did a run and um, we took the snatch out on these frozen trails and it did really well. Anyone who, uh, who went out was amazed that it did as well as it did. All caveat is all the way up until you just can't fight ice. So 9,000 pounds of momentum works with you all the way up until it starts working against you. Um, and at one point I tried to run up a hill, started going backwards and all the cars are bailing like behind me trying to get out. All these other landers are bailing, trying to get off the road. This is a pretty steep, it wasn't even a class four road. It was a regular class three road. We we're trying to get to another class road, but it was just, just black ice. And they're bailing in the equator. I don't hit anybody, but I wind up in a snowbank. So Laz, um, who a lot of you know from, uh, from I don't know anything overlanding here in New England, um, really out west now. Excuse me, going a lot out west. Laz in his black Range Rover. I think that was Beauty. Goes, don't worry. I'll get in front of you. I'll make it up. He goes maybe like 30 feet, 50 feet, and instantly slides right back into the, into the door of the, of the snatch. I don't care because the snatch is armored. Like, I can stop freaking 7.62 by 54R ammo. Like, I'm golden. Like, AKA anything. I can stop a Range Rover Classic doing like 25 miles an hour backwards. I messed up his taillight. Um, but we managed it with a couple creative winching and snatch blocking. We managed to get, all get out of there. Um, but that's when I realized like, oh wow, this vehicle's actually kind of capable. Um, I can start doing more. So, all right. So now I've got the cam threes. I'm like, I need a winch. Well, putting a winch onto a vehicle that wasn't meant to have the winch or the winch bumper. And all this is, uh, was no easy task. So. Um, my amazing friend Pete, who now works at Rovers North, who uh, used to come to my house and wrench on vehicles after work uh, for cash, which was the best setup I ever had for maintenance. Pete went about hand installing this winch and like modding the chat and like just nothing fits 
on an old Land Rover, like, the way it should. It's always, like, some, like, brute force. I'll tell you now, it fits even less well on a vehicle that's been blown up a couple times. Like, my Snatch has definitely seen its fair share of combat. It has a bunch of strike marks on the side from, from rifle fire. The underside has definitely seen a couple bombs. Like, smaller ones, but, like, it's not exactly the straightest. So he made a fit, get a winch, and I'm like, I'm going to run this thing at winter romp. Because why not run a 9,000-pound armored vehicle at, I don't know, probably the premier winter rover off-roading event in the world. Um, Bruce Fowler does such an epic job with that. If anyone has a Land Rover, um, I cannot recommend winter romp enough. Um it happens in Waterville, Maine every year in February. Um, just an amazing event. So anyways, take it to Winter Romp, have an awesome time, and we put it on chains. And it was damn near unstoppable as long as I wasn't fighting, like, ice. But I could do the power lines, I could do anything I wanted to it. And the other addition that I added to, it's another Pete story. Um, God, I hope he listens to this too. I decided that I need heat in this frozen box. So during the summer without AC, you bake to death. During the winter, you freeze to death. So we put in one of those little Chinese bunk heaters. Um, and by we, I mean, I mostly watched while Pete did the drilling. And we drilled through the Kevlar composite armor. Even with Tyvek suits and everything else, we itched for like a week. I had like fiberglass freaking shards in my arm. Uh, but we put in this amazing... Uh, bunk heater so I could be like 90 degrees in the snatch no matter how cold it is and we routed the fuel tank is in my engine bay and is powered by a windshield washer fluid uh, it's just awesome and then so people you get some weird looks when you open up your hood and you start putting diesel in what looks like your windshield washer tank um, it's another fun part of the snatch So anyways, we did an awesome winter romp. I had heat. Could go anywhere I wanted to go in chains. Um, and it was just a really cool, fun vehicle. So I got two winter romps out of it, 28, 2019. I did a bunch of bike races supporting um, Peter Voller's Vermont Overland. And then the Raputisa event up north. And um, I did a lot supporting gravel mountain bikers in an armored Land Rover. And everyone, and everyone loved it. Um, and then in 2020... Or no, 2021. Um, I didn't use it much in 2020. We were, we were moving, and uh, there wasn't really a lot going on. But in 2021, I was driving down the highway one day, and um, my engine decided it wasn't going to be for this world anymore. And I blew the bottom out of my entire, like, crankcase. Um, like, fist-sized chunk through my oil pan. Um, which is a really... The only way to describe what it sounded like is it sounded expensive when I was doing about 65, and then it just, and you're like, was that the transmission or the engine? And then when I slowly came to a stop and I turned the key and uh, nothing happened except the lights getting dim, I realized the engine was seized. So that started this three-year upgrade project. So I was like, I really want to put in a bigger engine than the 3.5 because it was kind of underpowered for a 9,000 pound order vehicle. It was underpowered in a Range Rover Classic to probably weigh in about like 5,000 pounds. Um, so I went to my friend Andrew Pratt up at Expanse Outfitters in Maine and over a year and a half we upgraded this to be its current spec. So we added a Range Rover 4.2 um, engine with um what is it? The Sniper EFI system, which if anyone has an old vehicle, um, I can't recommend that system enough. It transformed the pain in the ass of what the Rover 3.5 through 4.2 series was with dual pot carburetors and all that shit um, that no one knew how to work on. Like It was like Stromberg and SU carburetors. No one knew how to work on it. They were pain in the ass to look after. Never mind having to deal with chokes and all that. Um, to now I have a modern car level with live feeds on any piece of information I'd want out of the engine. Just incredible. It wasn't super expensive conversion, um, that portion of it. So if you're struggling with an old Bronco, Jeep, 
Land Rover, like carburetor-wise, and you want, just bite the bullet and go for the Sniper EFI system, you will thank me later. It is worth its weight in gold. Um, so we did 4.2 Sniper EFI system, custom rock sliders, because I was starting to beat up the bottom of the body, um, Detroit Locker, um, which is an amazing upgrade. We just did a trip up in, with the NEK Overland, get NEK Overland guy, Tim Wilson, um, and those dudes up in the Northeast Kingdom a couple weeks ago, and we could keep up with anyone else, the Jeeps and stuff. They were one-third our weight, um, and it was all thanks to the locker. Two-inch lift with the old man emu kit. Um, steering guard. Fuel tank guard. Differential guards. A um, bunch of other little things to make it. So now I can go and wheel this... 9,000 pound armored Land Rover that was in a rock with me on red trails and do it and have full confidence in its abilities. Um, the latest thing I just installed was an electric uh, <coughs> fan conversion because it gets a little hot when it's not moving um, just because of how much harder the engine has to work lugging all that weight around at, at slow speeds. Um, but it's a really, really cool truck. I spent a lot of my time, I've camped in it up in the, up in Winter Romp when it's been zero to negative 10. Um, I've had just an epic amount of fun cruising around in this old Land Rover and everywhere I go, people want to stop and talk about it. Um, cause it's not like anything they see or they just think it's a normal 110 hardtop. Um, and then are pretty amazed when I tell them how heavy it actually is. Like when you think about it, you're. You gotta work really hard to make an overland vehicle like 9,000, 10,000 pounds. And that's putting a lot of stuff on it. That's what this thing weighs empty. So, really, really cool, fun vehicle that I'm, I'll be driving. If, if I'm gonna be driving anything at the pilgrimage, um, most likely for me, it's gonna be the Snatch. That's my favorite go to, go to vehicle. Um, it just brings me the most joy to drive. It can be a pain to drive. Um, like, you don't have that grid of visibility. I'm tall. I'm 6'2". And uh, with the little armored windows, I definitely only see what's directly in front of me. I don't get the whole over... Uh, I don't get the whole experience of what's around me like you would drive in the Pins Gower where it's like looking out a, um, a picture glass window right, you know, with your face right up to it because there's nothing in front of you to block your view. Uh, but it is a really cool... <clears throat> fun vehicle. I have all this history with, um, it connects me to my friends. Um, you know, it connects me to Andy and, um, that's really important to me is, is Andy has this ongoing battle with ALS. Um, so I'll always have that tie and I'll always remember that drive with him. Um, I'll always remember that drive with him. Um, and then going to pick it up with my son and cruising around with Hugh and Harry and Electra and, and, um, my wife at Winter Romps and uh, cruising around with the, the Wolfhounds in it. It's just an awesome vehicle. And where it ties into overlanding is you can do, you can overland in anything. I don't care if it's, if you're like Sam and you're running the Subaru or you're running a built up Unimog or you're just in a brand new Forerunner or a Land Rover, you decide what adventure you want to do and the first step to that adventure to me is is picking out your vehicle and deciding what what do i want to do with this what do i want to drive what what is the for me a vehicle is more than just get me from point a to point b if i want to get from point a to point b reliably and in less style i would have a modern vehicle but for me what makes me happy is driving a classic and having that nostalgia that that style that sense and feel and a big thing out in the trails that tactile feel of driving like i feel everything when i drive these old vehicles when i'm on the trail i don't really have computers doing shit for me um it is really cool to have that experience and feeling so i i just don't want people to feel like they have to box themselves in thinking hey i need a brand new forerunner with an alley cab and everything else you can wheel on a 1947 CJ with a Coleman's tent and a Coleman stove and have just as good a time, if not better, 
than someone in a brand new built up rig with everything else. You are deciding what your adventure is. You are deciding how you're going to get there. And vehicle selection is, I really think, the most important first step that decides how, what level of experience you're going to have. Not, I don't mean like, are you going to have a better experience because you're driving a classic vehicle? You're probably going to have a more pain-free experience if you're driving a modern vehicle. But you get to decide... It just you just get to pick and make it a part of you, and it becomes a family. It, sorry, McTavish is showing up. Hey, buddy, it's I guess it's a lot like a dog. They all look different, but you get to pick what is going to make you happy. And with the vehicles, I want to overland and stuff that makes me happy. That I'm, that I want to be in. That I want to work on. That I want to be excited to go out and see. I want to call me weird. I talk to the vehicles. I name all the vehicles. Um, my snatch his name is Lindsay. Um, there's an inside story to that that I can tell around the campfire, but I could definitely not tell on a podcast. Um, just have that touch and they become part of the family. So let that sink in. I apologize. I've rambled on for this podcast for 50 minutes now. Um, it's definitely a little harder doing the podcast by myself, and I apologize if I've rambled on. But um, I hope you've enjoyed this story of the snatch, um, as, and it also as it continues um, it's something I'm really passionate about. I know it's not all Vermont based with that story, but it's, I think it's a cool story. Um, but again, thank you for listening to the class war podcast. I do this for you. I'll do it for myself. I like being able to talk. Any of you have been hanging around with me around the campfire. know I love to talk and tell stories. Um, so doing this in a format is, is almost as good as that. It's more fun when I have guests. Um, so thank you again for the listen. I look forward to the next podcast, which will be coming out soon. Um, I'll get that recorded next weekend with, uh, when I'm up with Alex and have a wonderful evening. And thank you for listening for episode five of the class war podcast.